Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Tunaris podcast is proudly sponsored by Inline Eco, your trusted partner in asbestos removal and re-roofing services across Ireland. Your peace of mind and safety are our top priorities. For more information, visit inlineeco.ie. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tone Orange podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, Timmy Long. Hi, everyone. We're back up in Ballymun with our friend, Keith Kelly. How are you, Keith? All, right, all good, boys. All good. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're in recovery like ourselves, yeah. and you're also a victim of a, a violent crime, which you're going to talk to us about that. Yeah. But before we get into that, just tell us where you're from and you know, a bit about your context. Um, I'm from a small place out by Dunleary called Ballybrack. I've lived there all my life. Um, married with three kids and have a grandkid um, and I, at the moment I still aside mental health programs for a charity called Suicide so uh, and Ballybrack is uh, famous for I don't know the snapper the snapper um, many things but yeah, yeah um, but can you remember it being filmed no I can't uh, no um, just a lot I can't now what was it late, late 80s was it must be 1990, should have celebrated. Yeah, yeah, the World Cup and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was it like for growing up? Um, growing up, I, you know, I spent a lot of time out in the streets and that. Um, I still have a lot of mates who I would have grew up with. Um, I suppose when I look back now, I, you know, I suppose I was always in conflict with myself, James. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never realised that till much later on in life, you know. Explain that to me a little bit. Um, I never got on with my dad, you know, we were always in conflict with me and my dad. School, um, school was a no-no for me. I left school just before my 60th birthday. And again, I only I only realised much, much later on in life that uh, I learned physically. Mm-hmm. So for me in school to be trying to absorb stuff that was coming down off a blackboard, and just didn't work for me. And, um, you know, I was told it was useless. Um, never amount of watching skills, you know. Spent a lot of time outside the door, spent a lot of time on the Mitch. Mm. Um, skill just wasn't for me. Um, what was sport? Sport, I love football. Yeah, I played football all my life. And again, that's a lot. Of, uh, I suppose out on the pitch is where I could forget about everything, you know, that sort of way. team from over your direction? Um, I used to play for Ballybrack Boys, and then I played for senior teams, you know. Across Celtic, Dwarfman's Club, Tullyary Celtic. Are they a GA teams? No, football. Or soccer, or soccer. Or, 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 yeah, sometimes yeah. I get confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for, I played football up to the age of possibly 
26, 27, you know. No. Yeah. Um, what position did you play? I played center half and I played up and I played up front. Yeah, yeah. I was a bit of a. Do you know what? I think I would have could have possibly been an awful lot better, but we never gave it the the full 100%. percent You know what I mean? It's probably, always distractions around. Yeah. You know. Um, you said something there probably, and I always felt that I could have gave it more as well. But do, do you know, because of the different things that went on in my life is small, and you yeah, said you were up in your head a lot as well. Yeah. I actually didn't have too much energy, as in like physically, because I was so much of a tinker. Yeah. I was using up so much of my energy as a young child. I knew I had potential, and I knew I had the ability and the strength, but like it felt so sluggish. Um, do you ever feel yeah. like that? I, do you know what? I was a hero for, do you know, pre-season and uh, we would go on road runs and my head would just say, no, I can't do this. Um, and I'd switch off and I'd say, I'd drop out. Well, if I was doing pre-season, you know, short, shuttle runs, sprints, mm -hmm. nah, I could do that, no problem. Um, but once I came to, you know, road runs or up climbing the hill up the steps and down the steps, I get up too easy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know where that was, but just, yeah. It's going back. If I ever go up in a room, right, my head will come into me. You've not done no. Yeah. It's, it's like the body is trying to call, come in, the ego, the ego section of the body, which is there to protect you. Yeah. And when the body's under stress, because it's it's not used to your kind of doing uh, exercise, yeah, yeah. it wants you to stop. That's what it sounds like to me. But the manager would always give out Rightly so, because when I'd give up, it would have that domino effect for someone else to say, oh, well, mm -hmm. it's easier. Do you know? So, yeah. Do you want to take us back to the the event, the trauma, the traumatic event that happened, John? Yeah, well, I suppose, Jamie, that happened in 2008, so I had to sort of peel back to 2006 when yeah. it started. I, I'm living in my house, um, bought a house across my mass in 1990, and I've been living there ever since. So in 2006, I had a neighbor to the right of me. Um, knew this guy, was a bricklayer. He was a bricklayer. We worked, knew him all my life, knew his family. Um, never had a bad word. Um, but 2006, things started to go a little bit awry. Um, I came home from work one day and my wife said to me, he's at, he's at that, play on into their car outside the house. It was impossible. This was impossible for him to do unless he'd done it on purpose. But at the time, I wasn't, you know, oh, he was okay. He was a quiet guy. Knocked in. I said, you know, what the fuck you had to do? And you know, I said, oh, look, uh, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, being a, a neighbor, I said, listen, do you want to sort it over cash rather than go through your insurance? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Nothing happened for about two or three months. Wife's giving me grief. You know what I mean? She needed a card done, knocked in again. Yeah, yeah, I'll get it sorted. And I said, look, I think I tell you the piss out me, you know what I mean? Get the thing sorted. I'll try to offer you a way out here rather than going through insurance. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So anyway, a couple of months later, I got a phone call off the garage. Some goes out of walking in here and dropping 600 quid and said, it's for your wife's car. You know, it didn't, didn't come back to me and say, listen, I'm doing yeah. this. So strange things started happening. You knocked into me then, little boy laughter. I opened the door and he says to me, listen, I have to tell you something. And I said, yeah, okay. He says, I'm, I'm at my time on the sites about your wife. So I'm just letting you know. And I fucking says, you what? 
says, and he broke down crying on her. I didn't know, you know, it was such a shock to me that someone would say this to me. I didn't know what the fuck, what yeah, reaction. Strange. What do you think he meant by that? What was he saying? Like, it's obviously calling me wife or whatever, you know, and all these sort of things. Yeah. So, when I, when I lived with me, with me ma, where we grew up, his uncle was my next door neighbour. Get on great. So I said to him, Karen, I'm going to go over and have a chat with his uncle, you know, and see, can he have a chat with his father? So I went over to his uncle and I said, Jeez, Mick, look, Marco's out there knocking into me, saying fucking strange things, you know, he's talking about my wife at the side. Any chance you have a chat with your brother, his father, like, he said, Oh, look, I don't really want to get involved, you know what I mean? And so I said, Okay, so then he would, this was going on, and then he would, in the middle of the night, he'd fucking blare the television, he'd put his music on. Full of blast, and, and he'd go out in the middle of the night in his car and just leave the house pounding. Do you know what I mean? And this would go on and on, and I kept knocking in, and you know, things just with him start getting strange, and the curtains weren't being opened. And I went over the two year period, I went to the guards eight or ten times to complain about this. They kept telling me, No, look, there's nothing we can do. He hasn't actually done anything. Then we'd have cameras, I'd have kids swings out the back. I looked out one day, he cameras pointed down into my backyard and stuff. So I went to the guards again, they came down, he took the cameras out of the windows. But again, they said, Looks, nothing we can really do. I went up to his parents two or three times over the two year period. I sat with his mother and father, who I, who I knew. So you, know, you were actually trying to resolve this in the right way of uh, conflict. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure from by the sense of why I'm getting here is you're actually worried about this guy in in a sense as well, because this kind of behaviour was completely mad, like absolutely. And but I thought I was going mad. Because I were, the community I lived in, everybody knew us. And he was obviously spreading rumors. Mm. Um so I went up to his parents a couple of and the last time I went up to him, I went up to my brother and uh I said to the man, listen, is there any chance you fucking stop this madness? It's like you drove me around to twist this lad. Now, Keith, um, your eldest son is getting out and pissing on my son's washing line. And I'm doing all his washing. And your wife's getting out in the middle of the night and she's keying, keying his Jeep. I said to myself, and I heard this. Look, we all defend our kids. Mm. But this was way out, out stuff. And I said to myself, fuck me, what am I going to? So one morning then in 2008 in January, I went to work. I was working, wasn't working too far away, um, building a house up in Kalini. And about 10 past eight, my wife and me says, get down here, he's he's kicking the front, fucking front door in. So I'm coming home in the car and I'm saying, so I think I'm going mad because no one's believing the story, telling me, ma, what's going on? Um, okay, Keith. I was trying to you resolve okay this. Are you okay now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, I was coming home in the car and I said, what am I going to do? So I said, I'll knock into a neighbour and have someone as a witness. So I knocked into a neighbour and said, you wouldn't mind coming in. I'm going to knock into this guy. He's trying to kick me from front door. In. Knocked on the door and he came out. And do you know, by this time I was starting to get a little bit afraid of him. Do you know what I sort of way? He's a careful about him. Yeah. So my neighbours started 10 yards behind me. And so I said, what, you know, what the fuck are you doing? I'm trying to fright my wife. He says, I heard just last night, getting in the back window. He's out there there, robbing me life savings um, and on me videos. I said, fuck me now. 
Do you know, just, I didn't know what to say to that. Mm -hmm. I was glad the neighbor heard it, do you know what I mean? Um, he said, yeah, I heard you getting in the back. He's, he's left a screwdriver at the back window and he's got it in. <clears throat> Bizarre stuff. So I rang the guards straight away. Um, they came down, told them what, what was going on. They went into him, they got back into me and he said, look, I don't think he's really, you know, in the heads. Yeah. What, what do I do? She said, well, he hasn't actually, no, he hasn't actually done anything. You know, I know he's saying all these strange things. So they went off in their merry way. Um, left me and my wife to sit with that, you know, very strange. And I, you know, I didn't really realize, but over that two year period, my own mental health started to suffer, you know what I mean? Um, so that night, went to bed. That night, was woken by two loud bangs trying to kick me for door. It's five o'clock in the morning. I get up, look out the window at a, at a raw door bench in the front garden. Mm. I just want to see him pick it up and he falls it straight through the front window, see him climbing in. So I'm in the fight or flight stage at this, you know what I mean? Um, Two kids in the house, teacher. Yeah, whole family. Whole, yeah. My eldest was 17 at the time, my daughter was nine, and my youngest was two. This is all happening when you're inside. Yeah, yeah. So I ran onto the landing and met him on the stairs. Oh, interesting, me jocks, you know what I mean? It's pitch black. He's a big, powerful boy, you know, so I'm grappling with him, get him down the stairs. And I didn't realize he had a knife. Mm. And the first time I realized, like he had me on the ground, scraped me with the knife. And he stabbed me in the chest. And next minute, blood squirting everywhere. And I knew I was in trouble. For some reason, I found some sort of strength. And I got him down the stairs. Out in the front door, and I, I sort of collapsed. And um, I realized that later on, he punctured my lungs, and my lungs are filling up. And I saw, so neighbor dragged me in to his garden. And I also could hear it was noises. I was going in there with consciousness. He had a towel on me, on me wound on my chest there. Um, and again, for a while, I don't know how long it took for the ambulance to come or whatever, you know. It was, it was, I could hear strange noises going on inside. Um, I ended up in the hospital then. Did he take off? Or did no, he back I didn't. I didn't find out till the next day or whatever what was what was still going on in there. I could hear noise and stuff. My wife, in a panic, instead of ringing the guards, rang rang her sister. I don't know. You know that number just came into her head. Um, me, me eldest lad, he ran. He ran and got help. Um, so it was, I had brother-in-law and a nephew and there was neighbours who went in and a couple of them got slashed by him. Um, he was up the, a couple of years, yeah, he was up the stairs um, saying, I want me videos, I want me, want me money. And then apparently the guards arrived. Again, I don't know, it could have been 10, 15 minutes. And they said, listen, he was at the top of the stairs, put the knife down and put the knife down and they took him away. I didn't realise till. I mean, a couple of days later, but I was, I was in total shock, James, you know, yeah. and um, I ended up in the hospital. I was out the back and I could hear, again, I could hear people talking. I was gone in there with consciousness. And I didn't realise till the next day, but there was a mad thing. I could, I, one thing I vividly remember right at that time was strange. I could hear a set of high heels. Do you know what I mean? Out of everything that was going on, I could hear that. Um, 
I didn't, I didn't, couldn't make sense of it. But um, so the next day, um, I woke up in the hospital. It stabbed me numerous times in the chest. It was my main artery to my heart by millimeters, you know. It stabbed me in the shoulder and stabbed me in the face. My whole face was split open. The girl, four times. The girl, the high heels was a plastic surgeon. He was going home and just by chance. She st- the inside of me mouth is all fucked up. She stitched up. Um, yeah, so, do you know, it was like when you walk up, I didn't know what was going on, do you know. Um, I was just numb, James. Yeah, I was numb to it all. Um, I spent some time in the hospital. My house was in bits. Um, so while I was in the hospital, my brother and friends sat walls were full of blood, everything was a mess, you know. He'd actually kicked one of the doors upstairs off the fucking hinges. People were trying to close me into the bathroom. And, um, so people fixed up my house and that. His, your house, he was in my house. Yeah. Well, he didn't go into his own house and go upstairs. No, he went into your house. Yeah. Through the bench, through the front room. Through my yeah, when I know him, he didn't your house. But you know, afterwards, after he'd done this, did he go back into the house? No, no, the police took him in, him away. Like, yeah, from yeah. his house. Or from his own, from yeah. your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when all this happened and people started coming around and you were on. Uh, uh, I was next, were, yeah. He went, he was up your stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went into my wife's bed, her bedroom. Did he, oh, did he the kids have them? Stuff. Were he the had kids the, gone over the house at this stage? My eldest son was. Yeah, but the rest of them. No, yeah, he. He went and he had my wife, he had the, the knife to my wife's throat. Two of his kids were on the bed. Um, that could have been a show murder. Yeah, there, absolutely. Like. Absolutely. Um, so I spent some time at the hospital, James. Um, Can I just bring you back? Yeah, yeah. Only you were on the floor. I was, I was in next door. Yeah, yeah. On the stairs, yeah. yeah. You must, your, your head must have been on your kids and your wife. Nothing. I just went into fight, fight yeah, mode. Um, and... I suppose the adrenaline gave me the strength. This guy's a big fucker, like, and uh, uh, all I was grappling when he was slashing me, and realized he was stabbing me as well. But you know, yeah, I found the strength to get him down the stairs somehow. Um, but when I went, the neighbor took me in his garden. He went, he went up the stairs then to his wife for that, you know. Um, How long were you in hospital for? I was in hospital for five days. Um, what was it like when you went home? I, I didn't go home initially first. I went to a brother in laws to, to recover because my house was, wasn't. Yeah. Um, do you know when I went home, James? I was numb for about three months. Um, absolutely numb. People were knocking and saying, It's the greatest, you know, you're alive, thank God. I couldn't feel that, you know. He was on remand or was it like that? Yeah, yeah. And I was part of medication, I think. Yeah. And. Do you know what happened? After I sort of came out of that numbness, I started having nightmares. Every time I pulled up to my house, it was like that, that image was like the Amityville house, you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It frightened the fucking life out of me, do you know? Um, mm. And I never told anybody the extent to which how I was hurting inside. Um, I felt a lot of shame. Someone had come to my castle and I wasn't able to protect, mm. you know. Um, I was afraid, I became afraid of the dark. I'd sit up with my dog at all hours. 
And for me, six foot three guy, mm. to be afraid of the dark, knock the stuff on me. Do you know, it's very important for me to be listening to this here in gems, you know, because once upon a time, the life I lived in crime and stuff. Like, this is my first time getting the perspective of somebody that's a victim of yeah, yeah. the violence or crime. And I'm sitting there, <laughs> I feel like crying. <laughs> oh, right. you know, it's fucking. And, uh, Because you don't have, you don't realise you know, the, the devastation, like when we do things now. No. Like, um, you don't realise at the time, you know? Absolutely not. Um, and I would have always had a drink, smoked a bit of weed, done drugs throughout my life, um, gambled. I didn't, didn't think I had really too bad a relationship with all them, but when I was in this mode, I would have done anything in this game. Benny. And over a five-year period, <clears throat> we met out to tear you out. Oh my God, um, nightmares I was having. Visualized myself at the top of the stairs every so often. I couldn't sleep. I'd stay up till all When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I was afraid of that. You know, sometimes I was doing mad stuff. I'd have one foot in the sitting room, yeah, and one foot at the edge of the stairs. I'd try and turn off the light at three in the morning before I got up the stairs. And I never shared that with my wife or anybody because I thought I'm six foot three. Yeah. I, can, I can sort all this out. But, yeah. Uh, You're only human at the end of the day and you would post-traumatic stress. Absolutely. Oh, you know, when you're a victim of a violent crime like that, do you get any supports? Like, for you know what? Initially, when I came out of hospital and stuff, I have to say the guards, I was, you know, it was a guard liaison officer. The guards offered me and the family some counselling, which we went to, but I wasn't in the state tips or anything. Didn't work for me. So I said, nah, not for me, do you know. I thought I could handle all this, James. Mm. Now I'm six foot three guy, big man. Yeah. That's what I mean. But that's what we're brought up to believe. Yeah. It's interesting, you don't have to say that now four or five times. Yeah. And it's like you're still saying to yourself like that you should have been 
you should have been able to prevent it, you should have been able to deal with it. It's, it sounds like you're still a little bit hard on yourself because you're a big unit. No, I tell you, I've come to, I've come through that because I sort of reacted the story. Yeah. Um, but for a long time, I felt I didn't. Because remember, I was saying to you for a two-year period, like as Jane or Timmy said, I was trying to do things the right way, going with cards, trying to delegate with his family. Yeah. So going round and round in my head, you know, all the snares, well, what do I do? Why didn't I protect them? Why did I do something? Why did I do this? Why did I do that? It was always the worst, the worst. Um, to the extent in 2013 where I just tried to take my own life, um, I caught, I just, how much is 2013, five years I tormented myself after, after. without seeking help or telling anybody the true extent to which I was suffering. Well, and during that period, the five years, Keith, we, what were you doing to, to maybe soothe yourself? I was drinking. Drinking. Taking drugs. Drugs and drink. Um, gambling. Everything just magnified. Um, how, was, how was your wife and kids? Do you know, Jay, I, I, at the time, I possibly self-absorbed myself. Yeah. I had so much anger that built into rage. I wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill his family. And that just took over. He sat with me every day. He went to bed with me every day. He was in the car with me every day. Mm. I just became overwhelmed. Thoughts of revenge. I consumed by it. I lost. I just turned into a shell. Personally, I was, you know. Life became very difficult, you know. It's the thing with mental health and addiction person that's going through the mental health issue or addiction, it's a very self-centered condition, isn't it? Absolutely. And we're only thinking about ourselves. Absolutely. And then there's the families and they're obviously traumatized yeah, as well. absolutely. But you're all caught up in your own head yeah. that you can't. He consumed me. Every minute of my day, I just wanted to revenge. Um, what happened at the, with the suicide attempt? What, what happened around that and how did you... Do you know, suicide had been creeping into my head for a lot over the years. Um, I just I just didn't want to go on, James. Mm. I fucking hated who I was. I didn't like who I was. Um, and I knew my wife was going to a uh, summer project with my kids one morning, so I knew she'd be gone early, so I took a lot of pills that night. Um, she was gone, I woke up, I was groggy as fuck, but... Uh, I was still here, so my wife was gone with some more projects. So I had a shed out the back, so I went out the back. Had a sun lounger out there and I lay down and took a lot more pills. Yeah. It just, I was carrying so much shame. Yeah. Why couldn't I protect my family? Why how did I let this happen? Um, that internal dialogue, that was useless. It's crap. Can't protect my family. Why can't the man protect his family? Do you know what I way? Um, I woke up that evening. I tried to stand up. I collapsed on the uh, shed. So much drugs in my body. I couldn't speak. Um, so I crawled, crawled into the house. Crawled up the stairs. I think that I had been drinking the house along with the, the medication. Game over. Game over, yeah. Um, Was that a turning point, yeah? Absolutely. Do you know? The Tunaris podcast is proudly sponsored by Inline Eco, your trusted partner in asbestos removal and re-roofing services across Ireland. 
your peace of mind and safety are our top priorities. For more information, visit inlineeco.ie. I love my family. I didn't want to die. I was just, oh, I was tormented, you know what I mean? I was tor- I'm a tormenting myself. Um, so I, start, I, I went to seek help, you know. Um, I knew I couldn't go off. I knew I was a good person, but I was tormenting myself, you know, sort of way. Um, so I started to seek help. And one of the best things I was told early on was, to do a bit of some uh, exposure therapy around in the Friday of the Dark. So I'd go away with a knife with the dog. There's a club house 100 yards away at a staffy, and he'd stayed up with me over them five years, watching me crying and technology the best pal. So we have staffies as well. You know, so I'd, I'd go 100 yards with him on the lead and I'd come back home in the dark. You know, dark. I'd do that for a couple of months and then, then we'd go a little bit forward and we'd probably go 200 yards. Um, in the pitch black on my own, do you know what I mean? Um, and eventually, probably about a year later, we'd go a little bit forward and let him off the lid, and he's cute here with me, dog, stay beside me. Yeah, he'd, be, he'd been through it with me. Yeah, uh, he sensed the fairy. Yeah, dog. absolutely. So, they're the most loyal dogs as well. Like, ah, so that's how I got over that sort of fear of the dark. But I, I spent a lot of time. It's hyper vigilant. Do you know that, like a mirror cap, and he sticks his head up and he's scanning it. Yeah, yeah. It was sort of in twenty-four hours like that. I could walk to nearly pier. And so lots of people walking to nearly pier, but I could obviously have that sense of someone behind me. Or yeah. I suppose when you're living like that, I never knew mentally it was fucking me up. So I was doing things to me physically. I started to suffer a lot of leg pain, and my back give up. So while I was going through therapy, I was also engaging with my doctor, which which I never did as a, as a young. I only went to the doctor to get a script, to get three days off work. I never had so changed doctors, you know what I mean? I had a good relationship with this new doctor. Um, but twenty fourteen, my legs were giving me awful trouble. Um, so she sent me in for a scan and. Um, Peripheral artery disease. If you, if you can think of your your arteries like a, a straw, one with like treads yeah, and yeah. legs. So I'd have a bypass. And I'm gonna, it's all connected to the trauma I, I suffer with. You know what I mean? So I suffer chronic pain an awful lot now. Yeah. Um, but going back to recovery, um, I was doing a lot of therapy. And when I had that operation, I said to myself, that's it. Gargle, drugs, gun, everything. That's it. Get my life back together, falling apart here mentally, and my body's falling apart. Mm. And lucky enough, the uh, therapists, you know, at this stage, I had no self esteem, no confidence, I was isolating, I was like a, a little child. Um, he said, Would you, would you think about doing some voluntary work? You know, to reintroduce yourself, sorry, into society and stuff. So, lucky enough, I knew a friend of mine who. So the group was a couple of years older than me and <clears throat> had a charity called Suicide Survivor and do educational and ter- therapeutic programs, well-being programs. So she had a chat with her and she said, look, would you come up two hours a week, do something out the back just in. So I'd, I'd go up two hours a week and be out the back and the equipment ready for programs and people in the office say how are you to me and just leave, leave me to do whatever. 
But over time, then I started to go on two days a week. I started to build my confidence. And then I obviously grew up in the building industry. I never around an office environment. So even that was strange for me. These people were encouraging me. Do you know what I mean? Give me lots of support. There's lots of therapists walking in and out of the office. And, you know, we'd have chats out the back. And I was still going to therapy and stuff. I started to get my confidence back over a year, year and a half, two year period. And I always wrote poetry as a kid and done a lot of art. But I fucked it in the wardrobe. I was taught, who wanted to listen to me? Because tell me in school I was useless, you know? Yeah. So I started to get some sense of self back. Yeah. Um, I trained up um, with Mel as a facilitation. Um, and the word education to me in the past would have horrified me. Because it's mind just school. Absolutely. But as an adult, it's completely different. Isn't it's it? all about knowledge. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's enjoyable as an adult. Oh, isn't it? Listen, people in the office could see the growth within me. Um, and they sort of said, Well, just think about going back into education. I said, Don't know, you know. Um, they said, Look, I, I think there's something there, the potential to, you know, for further growth. So I went to, uh, I enrolled to do some counselling skills at Minute University. To me, Minute University was way out of my league. And on the journey there, I'd, I'd spoken to the tutor and asked, you know, who else would be in the class? And a lot of academics, teachers and stuff like that. So on the journey to Minute, of course, the old self-sabotage comes into the head. Yeah. The fuck are you doing? Going to Minute University. Who do you think you are? Um, and I nearly turned around, you know. And at this stage, I'd been doing lots of workshops and stuff, so yeah. self-development programs. Um, so I went anyway, and do you know what I found within a three-week period? Every time I spoke, these people didn't really have the life experience I had, and I had value, and you know, absolutely, yeah. But I never, I never thought that before because people were telling me in school, "You're crap," and um, I loved it. Uh, absolutely, I got a thirst for education. Um, I remember when I went back as an adult, and like that, no, you know, went into college for the first time, and one way going to bring him you know, Yeah, and we were doing uh, we had a law module, and I said it before, but uh, I I I knew a lot about the law module because the courts system, yeah, yeah, all this yeah, stuff because yeah. of experience. But the young people in the class, they're like, "Fuck it, James is brilliant at the law." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Be like, "Fuck, maybe all these shitty life experiences." Yeah, to me, no. Because that wisdom and those experiences, you can't buy that. So absolutely. I remember doing, we were doing some CBT one morning um, in Minute University. We had to, it was through art. And of course, I love art. So we had to draw us pictures of from our childhood and stuff. And I, I drew away. Um, because coming from where Dublin, I didn't see sheep till I was later, much later on in life, not a sort of way. But I drew a picture of myself um, with my brothers in the car on a journey to a low house down Ballycon. And the sky was all brown and you know, it wasn't so, then we, we had to explain what our drama was. So, so you know, she says, Okay, Keith, well, can you explain what, what was brown? Do you know there was no way of fifty in these days. There's a long way from Ballybrack to Ballycon. There was four of us stuck in the car my man that the cry the sky represents, you know, farting, the arguing. Four brothers in the car, you know. Yeah, um, and my dad should shut shut up. And, and I suppose for me, the lighthouse represented me. Fucking get out of this car. 
bit of sanctuary. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and when I explained my my story, a lot of the other people in the class had fluffy clouds and on their and they weren't able to tell their story because I don't think they were telling the true story that I was telling about my journey in the car, do you know, the sort of way. And I, you know, I, I went down, to, you know, my 25th anniversary, my wife, I'd be booked uh, a week away in Malta, 27 then. <laughs> and then I got word from the office, listen, there's rap, or the officers have a program called rap as well. Um, was rap training in Weefield Prison for a week. Of course, what week was it on? Mm. Same week as my 25th anniversary. It was really important to me, do you know, for for going forward. Um, so I had a chat with my wife. And said, yeah, she agreed. So a friend of ours went with my wife and I spent the week in Weefield Prison with lifers. What was it like for you? Oh, do you know, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah, was that key? 27 then. Eight people. From prison for them were lifers. Um, it was one of the best experiences in my life. Because, because you know, I could have took a turn mm. and and been on the opposite side of the table, you know, sort of way. Um, but it would have been very understandable for you to live your life with a lot of bitterness, hatred, anger towards people coming violent crime. But there you are in prison helping people. James, I spent so much time in the blame game, blaming this guy for for the way I was feeling until I found acceptance and took personal responsibility. Like, I'm the only one who can fix my life. Yeah, yeah he done this to me. I carried him for five years and it didn't do me any good. Yeah. Um, so I had to find some sort of acceptance to move on in life. You're stuck in playing the blame game. It's now moving forward, yeah. do you know? What's life like for you know your recovery <laughs> nine years? Life is good, but you know sometimes awareness can be a bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> um, because when you're stuck in drinking and drugs, uh, you've no self awareness. Um, life is a hell of a lot better. Um, absolutely, the work I'm doing, I've been privileged to do working in prisons, working in communities. Ten years earlier on, I just recently done a workshop for fifty people around the corner. Um, I travel around the country doing workshops and delivering rap programs and I absolutely love it. To be, in, to be in a room with people who are curious about their mental health, yeah. it's magic. It's, 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 like, it's like what you do with you, oh, Stephen, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, listen, more, you know? more of it, the better. Yeah, the More of it, the better. If you're ever coming to Crocker, this is your Of course, yeah. Yeah, I just want to bring you back before we finish up here, James. Uh, it's very important, especially coming from somebody like yourself who's experienced um, your victim of crime, really. And this was... No, do you know what? I'm not a victim of survivor. survivor. Yeah. I'm not actually a survivor, I'm a thriver. Yeah. yeah. That's 100% yeah. yeah. There's a thing called post-traumatic growth. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's where I am. And sometimes, and so, sometimes you can really look at your experience as something that has maybe changed your life in a positive aspect. Absolutely. And that's, that's just, it's, it's not about, it's not about getting stuck. It's about, and it's not about a blame game. Even more, like what happened is, like we've all had different things happen to us, you know. But if we get stuck in the blame game, we're actually losing the real benefit of life yeah. and, and moving forward. Like we've, 
we we've all had different, as I said, different things happening to us. But at some point in our lives, we truly have to move on and and thrive as you have. And like I could have sat back, and James could have sat back, and I was on shit to people that I'm very very. I stood on people as well when uh, I was going through shit. You know, I can listen. Listen, as we were sitting here and sitting here and I was listening to a story, like and a lot of stuff was going on for me internally. Yeah, and yeah. it was bringing me back to times that I'd done different stuff to different people who didn't deserve it, yeah. were completely innocent, you know. And and that's why I got so emotional there earlier on, because I, I was going back and, and you were talking about who you, how, who you were getting through it. And my head was saying, like, poor people like that are, are struggling in the same way. And, 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 it really hit me really, really hard, you know. But bringing it back to the point is if we get caught up in the story of what had happened to us and, and, and blame game, yeah. you know, I, I I think we get stuck there. Yeah. And the longer you stay there, the longer you're really taking life and the benefits of life away from yourself as an individual, you know. And and a traumatic experience like that and try to understand that it can be something that can be very beneficial for somebody to help them to grow by a bit of therapy. Yeah. The therapy could be initially around the traumatic experience, but other stuff could come up. Yeah. And that could there could be real beneficial healing around that as well. Yeah. I you know when I reflect on life now. I used to blame me down, everything, you know. God forbid my dad died when I was young and um, didn't get on. Um, when I look back now, you know, I was bringing some, I was bringing some stuff to the party as well. It wasn't all his, his fault, you know, in a sort of way. Yeah. Well, I never got the opportunity to say that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I truly believe that, and it's strange to say, maybe if that incident hadn't happened, I'd have been still a bricklayer out drinking, yeah. Doing stuff, forced just to do the work by ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Have to look for the silver line and yeah. around these yeah. things. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I think this podcast will help victims of crime that are listening that may be stuck to try and move on. Yeah. And kind of, you know, have a, full, a more fulfilled life. And for perpetrators of crime to maybe think about some of the actions that they can't undo. Yeah. But just to make sure it doesn't happen in the future. Yeah. It's been a pleasure talking Thanks, to you. Yes. Thank you. Nice thank you. It was the Tunaris podcast is proudly sponsored by Inline Eco, your trusted partner in asbestos removal and re-roofing services across Ireland. Your peace of mind and safety are our top priorities. For more information, visit inlineeco.ie. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.